Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story. Howdy. How? Oh my gosh, Anna, I was going to say howdy, partner. Shut up. Is it because I'm wearing denim? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get cowgirl. No. I'm double collaring it today. I just like, I never used to, like when we would greet each other to start our episodes when we were doing Crime Bar, my instinct was never to get Southern. Howdy. And now it's like, how could I say it even more Southern? Partner. Yeah. Like partner. that's my partner. Partner. How goes it? How's it? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there it is. As Southern as it gets. Anyways, I don't know why I'm like that now. Well, what do you got for me today? I got a story for you today that was, uh, it was pretty interesting. So my mom and I were having a conversation about there's like a local girl from where I grew up that is currently missing. Oh. It's really presently, it's still a mystery. Anyways, my sister has been involved in the volunteer searches for this young woman. Amazing. And her name is uh, Alexis Gabe. She was 24. Um, the night that she went missing, she had left her home to go see her boyfriend and then mm-hmm. was never heard from again. Wow. And her car was found abandoned and somebody's security footage showed like a dark figure walking away from the car and just like abandoning it. So my mom and I are talking about it because I'm like, you know, there's so much going on behind the scenes. Like as far as the public is concerned, there's nothing. There's no leads. And obviously we're like, what the heck is happening with the boyfriend? Mm -hmm. And I was telling her about that. And she was like, obviously the boyfriend did something. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, Ana and I go through so many stories where you think it's one person and then it's totally somebody else that you don't expect. And obviously we always look at the partner right away, especially as you should, if the partner in question is the last person to see the missing person, obviously. But I said, it's not always like that. And she was like, oh, actually you're right. I was just watching this episode of like a crime show and you definitely think it's one person Mm -hmm. who does it. And then you find out later it's actually... So-and-so. Not at all the person that it was. And so I was, she's telling me about it. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. So that's what I'm doing today. I love that. I love some twists. I love some turns. As I was writing it, I learned that there were more twists and turns that weren't included in the show that she watched. Mm-hmm. So it's even more confusing at the end. It's, it's Don't know twists, who to trust. The twists, the turns, it's intense. So going to get whiplash. You're going to get whiplash. You get motion down. sickness. Just like try to sit still. Breathe through it. On the evening of Sunday, November 27th, 2005, 23-year-old David Hahn called 911 to report that he found his 21-year-old girlfriend, Catherine Woods, unresponsive and covered in blood in her bedroom. Within moments, police and paramedics arrive at the couple's Upper East Side apartment in New York. And the apartment is very small. It's like your typical New York shoebox-sized place. Everyone's living in closets and paying like five grand a month. Yes, yes. <laughs> Literally. And when they approached the bedroom where Catherine was located, it was a wreck. The entire room was covered in blood. The furniture had been thrown around like there'd been a big struggle. And even her mattress had been thrown off the bed frame and like blocked the doorway. Uh Paramedics actually had to grab the mattress and shove it into the room and then up against a wall just to get in to get to her. They determined immediately Catherine has already died from what appears to be multiple stab wounds. Officers later said that her attack was so vicious, they couldn't tell what ethnicity she was at first. And she's Caucasian. So she the, was just covered in blood. That's how covered she was. Was like oh they, All they God. knew was that it was a woman. Yeah. She had been nearly decapitated, and she was stabbed over 20 times. David, the 911 caller, who claimed to be her live-in boyfriend, was taken to the police station for questioning. 
He told police that despite the fact that he identified her as his girlfriend in the 911 call, they actually weren't together anymore. They had broken up somewhat recently, but had agreed that David could sleep on the couch until he found a new place. He told police that he had been out of the apartment for maybe 15 to 20 minutes max when he came back and found her body. He said they'd gone out to grab food in the 5 p.m. hour, returned to the apartment, and Catherine started getting ready for work that evening. They had a routine. He typically would leave while she was getting ready. He would walk the block to the parking garage where they kept their car, and then he'd swing by to grab her and then drive her to work. So this evening was like all the rest, except when he pulled up to their apartment, Catherine wasn't waiting outside. David waited a few minutes, and then he went upstairs to see what the holdup was, and that's when he found her. So just like imagine the shock of that. Like he literally left to go get the car and come back. It was such a quick and mundane task. She's getting ready, and she was viciously murdered in that short window of time. That seems like something that would take longer than 15 to 20 minutes, too, to brutally attack somebody and create such a scene in a mess i feel like that's more than enough time to, 15 to 20 to, to brutally attack and escape someone. to break in attack and then escape i mean well, i guess anything's no, possible there were no signs of a break-in oh that's the problem the okay. door was unlocked okay and he had probably left it unlocked because he was just running around the corner literally around the corner so the, the attacker garage. probably saw him exit and knew that that was an opportunity or, or it's someone that she knew and she let in okay there, like there's there's various things but this is a walk-up so Everyone coming in and out has to go up the steps. Yeah. Um, I don't know what floor they were on, but uh, there's no elevator. So you're okay. basically always going to pass whoever's in the building. Um, there cameras? This is 2005, so I don't know about cameras. Okay. I, I'm not sure about that. Police find a man's boot print, size 10 and a half, on Catherine's bedding and the shirt that she was wearing. So they think someone, like, put their foot on her to, oh like, my hold God. her down. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, there wasn't really much evidence at the scene. There were no signs of forced entry, no signs of robbery, or any other type of motivation for the crime, really. It didn't seem like she had been sexually assaulted, nothing like that. So it seemed random. So cops are like, okay, the timing of this seems pretty hard to believe. They narrowed down that David remembered leaving the apartment at 6.40 p.m. He walked only one block to the parking garage and then drove right back home. He stopped at a residential building where he was employed as a doorman, and he chatted with a colleague who was on shift that night. David grabbed a notebook that he had forgotten at work and then continued back to get Catherine. So these three places, his apartment with Catherine, mm -hmm. his place of work that he stopped, and the parking garage are all like literally next door. They're all within, within a, block a block of each other. So even though that seems like a lot to do in that short time. It's all right. Boom, boom, it, boom. It, it was, yeah. He literally was like passing. It's like running errands next door to each other. Yes. He said that she had told him she wanted to leave quickly, so he was really surprised to see that she wasn't waiting outside for him. He wasn't sure how long he had stayed outside waiting, but guessed it was only a couple of minutes. Records show that he placed the 911 call at approximately 6.59 p.m. So if his timing was correct and he did in fact leave their apartment at 6.40 p.m., let's say we allow a total of six minutes for David to walk out of the building, walk to the parking garage, stop at his place of work, return home and walk up the stairs to their unit, discover her body, grab the phone and place the call at 659. Mm -hmm. That means someone murdered her in roughly a 13 minute time span okay. that she was alone in the apartment. Or maybe david's a liar liar pants on fire yeah that's always a maybe <laughs>
Catherine Woods was born in June of 1984 in Columbus, Ohio. From the moment that she could walk, she started dancing. You know how some people are just born with a passion for something and then they're just gifted at it? That was Catherine in dancing. (laughs) She was very, very talented and it was a huge passion of hers. So she was classically trained since she was three years old. She loved anything related to musical theater and she always dreamed of making it big on Broadway. Her dad, John Woods, was very well known locally because he was the longtime director of the Ohio State Marching Band. And a lot of people attribute Catherine's love of dancing to her father's love of musical performance. Mm -hmm. When Catherine was only 17 years old, she graduated high school and moved to New York City by herself to pursue her dreams. She was disciplined and committed to her craft, and she wasn't going to waste time when she already knew what she wanted out of life. Sadly, only a few weeks after moving to New York, Catherine was raped at knife point by a man that she was renting a room from. But even this didn't change her desire to stay in New York or the determination that she had to make her dreams a reality. So her parents flew to New York to be with her, and they helped her find a new apartment in the safest area, the Upper East Side. She enrolled in as many acting and dancing lessons as she could find, and she worked odd jobs to get by. Catherine made regular trips back to Ohio to visit her friends and family, and during one of these trips, she meets a guy named David Hahn. David was a couple years older than her, and he had grown up very differently. His mom had severe addiction issues, which meant David was raised bouncing from foster home to foster home. He also loved music, and he wanted to be a rapper. And <laughs> Why don't, that shouldn't make me laugh? I know. I'm so sorry, David. But his it, name? It what makes was his rap name? Um, what, so do, what do we call David? David Hahn from Columbus, Ohio. His AKA. Ra- his rap name is City. So like not even like Dust City or in Dust City? It's not even Dust City. City. Just it's just City. City. C-I-T-Y. That's his name. That's his rap name. That's, that's David's rap name. We sound like um, his parents that are not supportive of his like, know, rap so career. We're judgmental. like, he's doing a little rapping down in uh, New York. And he calls himself City. <laughs> I don't get the draw to it. <laughs> yeah. So um, so they bonded over their love of music and he fell for Catherine hard. She was absolutely stunning, but also for being so young, she seemed so adult and put together and she was loving and very nurturing. And he even tells police after her death, there was something about Catherine that was almost maternal towards him. And because he didn't have that with his mom, he was like even more drawn to her yeah. because of that. Yeah. So they date long distance for a time, but eventually he follows her to New York and moves in with her in her apartment. He gets a lot of odd jobs, but overall, he kind of just weighs her down. Oh. She covers a lot of their expenses, and he doesn't seem to be able to keep a job, so they fight a lot. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she's so young. Like, she's... She, I don't even think she's like 20 at this point. Like when he, yeah. when they meet and he moves in. So they're really young yet. She's like supporting him and kind of like nurturing him. Like he's a baby. She's also so driven and ambitious. It sounds like. So yeah. that overall, like having that presence in your life yeah. is you don't need that when you're no. that young or really ever uh, ever. <laughs> so in 2004, after two years of dating, she's finally landing acting gigs and she even lands an audition with the Rockettes. Oh, so it's massive. Like, yeah. She's also finally tired of the dynamic between her and David and breaks up with him. So the way that Catherine told it, they agreed they were better off as friends and she allowed him to sleep in the living room indefinitely. Whereas David's version of events was like the love of his life kicked him to the curb, but allowed him to sleep on the couch while her life took off, basically. You could argue that both are 
in, interchangeable. You know what I mean? It's I just think, one just sounds yeah. pettier than the other. I think they're they're both true. Yeah. And like and she They broke up and he's sleeping on the couch. <laughs> yeah, and his dreams aren't taking off the way that he wants them to. But it also sounds like he has he doesn't put in any a effort fraction of the effort that she was putting in. So it's like a little bit of like a jealousy thing too. One thousand percent. Doesn't sound very male of him, but whatever. <laughs> he doesn't sound like a typical dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a man hater. Well, aren't you? What though? I, what I, yeah, I was about to be like, well, whatever. Yeah, I am. <laughs> 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 whatever, and so sue me if I am. <laughs> <laughs> so after her death, police go door to door to interview neighbors in Catherine's apartment building. All the neighbors in the surrounding units had essentially the same story and the same timeline. They didn't know Catherine or David. They all said that they rarely heard noises from that unit, except for the occasional loud music. On the evening of November 27th, between 6.18 p.m. and 6.25 p.m., they all heard a woman scream, what sounded like furniture being thrown around, and some type of a scuffle take place, and then it went quiet. Some neighbors waited and listened, but then went back to whatever they were doing when they didn't hear anything else. Another one walked out into the hall, but no one was there, and he didn't see anything unusual, so he went back inside. No one knocked on Catherine's door, and no one called 911. Police also go to the building that David works at as a doorman, and they interview the colleagues that he had seen that night. They confirm that David stopped by briefly, chatted, grabbed a notebook that he had forgotten, and then left. Except they stated that David actually arrived at 6.30 p.m., which raises alarm bells because David told police that he left Catherine alive and well at 6.40 p.m. You could you could also argue just like getting those, t- I don't know where I was. I don't know when I left the house to go to the gym. You know, there's certain things where it's like totally. you can give rough estimates. It's like within 10 minutes of each other. Like totally. once again, I would say that he did it, but it's, you it's can hard ar- to know. It, you, yeah. Yeah. So back in the interview room after Catherine's death, police have been interviewing David for 20 hours straight. That alone should be illegal. Like whether whether torture or not, like that's just that doesn't make any sense. You also can't have productive conversations past a certain point. It's kind of like even when you're fighting with a partner, it's like you have to just go to bed and revisit it in the morning because nothing is making sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Police request his fingerprints, shoe size, and permission to view his body to determine if he has any cuts or marks that suggest he may have attacked her. And David is completely cooperative. They find that his shoe size is ten and a half, just Mm -hmm. like the print found in her room. They also search his car and cell phone, but they don't find anything suspicious. And it didn't seem like he had any marks on his body. There was nothing of note. So it didn't appear that he had like been any type defense of wounds. altercation, especially with like a knife. Like you, oh, you, yeah. know, you would think that you'd get kind of scratched or cut or anything might happen, especially with the wreck that Even her bedroom splatter. was. Oh yeah. That, that yeah. goes everywhere. And there was nothing like that. Okay. Between this Interviewing the neighbors and the colleagues who provide timelines that actually put David inside the apartment during Catherine's attack, police directly accuse him of having murdered her. He breaks down sobbing and insists that he doesn't know what happened to her, but he wasn't involved and he wasn't present. And then, (laughs) in a move that feels very convenient given the timing of their accusation and the fact that he's already been grilled for 20 hours straight, David tells the police that he just remembered this. Catherine had briefly dated a guy named Paul that she'd met at the gym, and he had done something to betray her. Catherine had recently dumped Paul as a result, and David believed that Paul hadn't taken it well, and maybe he was involved. So police bring Paul Cortez in for questioning, and he's also very cooperative. 
He told police that he met Catherine at the gym he worked at in August of 2004, so well over a year before her death. He said that she was open about being unhappy with David and feeling weighed down by him. She described the situation as sort of a loser ex-boyfriend that she pitied and let sleep on the couch out of pity. Paul was much more on Catherine's level in terms of discipline and ambition and goals for the future. He was a very handsome and talented performer. He could sing, act, and dance and wanted to be a rock star. Was his rap name country? (laughs) (laughs) No, he wanted to be a rock star. It was very different. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was raised by a single mom in the Bronx and was currently working as a yoga instructor at a gym. And he also headlined a local rock band called uh, Monolith. This is so LA. I love it. Teaches yoga, wants to be a rock star. Yeah, <laughs> but they were in New York. Yeah, but I'm just saying, just city, just they, they got the city wrong. You know, just, it, just industry babies, you yeah. know. Catherine and Paul end up dating casually on and off for about a year. But Catherine had dumped him very recently and he was trying to win her back. About six months before her death, Catherine got a job at a strip club called Privilege. She wanted the income and schedule that would allow her to spend all day, every day, perfecting her craft and going to auditions. Paul admitted that he didn't love that, but it didn't come between them. Cool. The thing that actually broke them up came after one night when she was at work and she called Paul in a panic. She felt dazed and confused and was rapidly losing the ability to support herself. She was worried someone had put something in her drink and might be following her around the club. So Paul immediately raced to her, but the bouncer wouldn't let him in. So Paul circled the building until finally he found her stumbling around by herself. She was so disoriented that he tried taking her to a hospital, but she freaked out and refused. She didn't want her parents to find out that she was stripping, so she told him to get a hotel room and take her there instead. After getting her into a room, she passes out and Paul is so scared that she's going to die that he takes her phone and calls her dad. (gasps) Yeah. He should. Okay. Mm. (laughs) Paul said he knew he was risking his relationship with Catherine because there was no doubt she would feel betrayed, but he didn't care because he was certain that she was going to die. He cared about her safety. Yeah. Technically the right move. Yeah. She ends up recovering just fine, but then the next day, her dad shows up at her door and confronts her about this alleged stripping. Why did the stripping need to be included? Because she was uh, was drugged. I know. You know what what I mean? I I don't get why he would have to include that. To me, that screams man that doesn't want his girlfriend doing it anymore, making it impossible for her to do so through shame. And then, you know what I mean? Like, he easily could have just said she was drugged at a bar. Yeah. I honestly don't think he cared. It wasn't a malicious thing. It was more just panic. It was more like, I think he was a little bit more of a goody two shoes. And so this, it was all scary and weird. And then she went unconscious and then just panicked because she has a friend. I didn't write the girl's name down, but a friend that she was stripping with who also verified that Paul didn't seem to really care about that. Wasn't like an issue between them. Okay. But who knows? Yeah. You never know. So Catherine denies this. She tells her dad she was actually cast in a small off Broadway play called privilege And that Paul is a crazy guy who is obsessed with her and will do whatever it takes to get her attention. But that's not true. She's lying to her dad because police verified that she really was stripping. At privilege. (laughs) At at a place called privilege. So, and then they verified with several of her friends who knew what she was doing. Like it was, it was true. So she was just, she felt betrayed by Paul. So she lied to her dad and then. To get herself out of something. And dumped Paul. Yeah. Similar to David's interrogation, Paul was very cooperative. Police learn he is also a size 10 and a half shoe, 
And just like David, Paul has no marks or scratches or physical indication that he had attacked her. He did have an injury on his finger, but he said it was from dropping a weight on his hand at the gym. Yeah, makes sense. And police feel pretty confident that he isn't a person of interest and they just let him go. Okay. But not long after this, they find that cell phone records show that Paul called Catherine's cell phone all day long on the 27th. But not it's, the move. <laughs> no, it's not the move. But it seems that she was ignoring him based off the call lengths. So cell phone towers also show that Paul had gone to a Starbucks in Catherine's neighborhood, stayed there for a while, and continued making several phone calls to her, none of which seemed to go through. On the flip side, David's cell phone tower pings show him never leaving the apartment, even during the window of time that he was confirmed to be at the building that he worked at. That might mean something, but it isn't likely. The building he worked at, as well as that parking garage, it was all within the same block. So it wasn't likely to, like his cell phone wasn't likely to have pinged some other tower. It was just only pinging the same this one. This particular one. Yeah. For several days after the murder, the crime scene unit continually came back to Catherine's apartment. And then it occurred to someone, nobody had touched the mattress since paramedics arrived and placed it up against the wall. Mm. The crime scene unit didn't know that the mattress hadn't been found in that position, so they never touched it. Interesting, okay. And when they determine like what had happened and they pull it away from the wall, they find right there against the bright white wall, a bloody partial <gasps> handprint. Okay. During Paul's interview, police hadn't considered him a likely suspect, so they didn't fingerprint him. However, after finding this print on the wall, they verify right away that it isn't a match to David. And when they go back to Paul, his family intervenes and hires an attorney, and he refuses to cooperate. Eventually, police get a court order to fingerprint him, and it's a match. Then, video surveillance from the day of her murder is discovered, showing Paul wearing black boots, and police insist that these are the same boots that match the prints in her bedroom. However, they never find a match in Paul's closet. So if it is him, they think he just like got rid of- Just disposed of them yeah. after using them, which would make sense. Local papers were covering this case like nobody's business and photographers hounded both David and Paul whenever they ventured outside, like they were like celebrities. Mm -hmm. So because of this, a young woman came forward and told police that she actually knew Paul Cortez and that he had assaulted her in the past. She had been too afraid to speak up, but after seeing that he was a suspect in a murder, she felt obligated to finally share her story. She had worried that her lack of action is what allowed Catherine's murder to happen, and then she didn't want it to happen again. Mm -hmm. So apparently, this is all enough to arrest Paul Cortez for the murder of Catherine Woods. And in 2007, he was sentenced to 25 years to life. He's offered no motive or explanation for her murder because he's always maintained his innocence. He admits to going to the Starbucks in her neighborhood and calling her that day, but he said that wasn't unusual. David living at her apartment meant that they usually met up somewhere nearby, like this particular Starbucks. So he said that, that you know, there was nothing stalkerish about it. Even though it sounds very stalkerish, it wasn't because okay. that was like their meeting place. Like he'd go there, just a regular call spot, and say I'm here, and then she'd walk over because like, what are they going to do? Hang out at her apartment where her ex boyfriend's like on the couch. He's like, I'll just call her 75 more times and hope she picks <laughs> up and meets me at Starbucks because I'm not a stalker. 
Well, he also claims that he called several times, not because he was that intent on talking to her, but because he was having cell phone trouble that resulted in all the calls dropping constantly. So they, he- What a terrible coincidence well, if that's the case. For On his side, he's saying, I called so many times, but on my end, it wouldn't even ring more than once or twice. So, so he was just retrying so over and over again. So he was just retrying. And several people in his life verify that not only was that true of that particular day, but he was having that exact problem for like a week leading up to this day. That sucks for him. Yeah. So the most important thing about the cell phone thing is that like not only did so many people verify that that was true, but his cell phone records show that that was true for other phone numbers he was calling. Gotcha. So it wasn't just her. So it, it seems like that's the truth that his calls just kept dropping. So Paul Cortez, he has filed several appeals since his conviction, all of which have been denied. Police also find a few different businesses in the proximity, like a one to two block radius mm -hmm. of Catherine's apartment. Several different security footage, like time-stamped security footage that shows David actually being next to the apartment when he said he wasn't. Okay. And it actually puts Paul five blocks Further. away from the apartment during the same time. But apparently that came out after that, like that piece of evidence wasn't submitted as evidence in his trial. It's like after the sentencing. So his attorneys are like, that wasn't given to us. That's huge. It mm -hmm. literally proves that our client is innocent and that the guy that you left, like let go is the guilty one, yeah. most likely. But they're still not being granted an appeal. But they still get denied every time. So despite some major timing discrepancies and important timestamp security footage that strongly suggests Paul is innocent and mm -hmm. David is the guilty one, David Hahn walks free. He has released a few rap albums, you know, all <laughs> under the name City. I, I still can't get over what a dumb name that is. I just think he could do better. But like, think about what's out there, man, you know. Da Baby, Lil Baby, Lil Wayne, Lil John, Lil Little. Big Sean. <laughs> Oh my God, is this him? That's him. He gives me like little peep Jeezy vibes. His album cover is called Trunk Art. Yeah. Amplified. Yeah. And he has his fist touching and it says there's numbers on city 270, which I guess is the area code. And it's- <clears throat> I love that you're looking at me like, yeah, I'm-, I'm And story it's devastating. Out. And then the other album cover is even worse, if I'm going to be honest. And it's red light music. Look at this as mm -hmm. he's leaning out the car. Mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by all the different personality types that are out there because <laughs> I'm not the same as him. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah, like, no. well, we're not the same. We're not the same. Different species. Yeah. But I did rap a lot in fifth grade. So I also would like to make that clear. Did you? What was your name? Skittle. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> Swear to my life. I love that so much. <laughs> because I, I used to say that I was Eminem's cousin. Just because you're blonde and white? Well, just because... <laughs> I also thought I was related to Britney Spears. So I had a lot of identity issues. Again, blonde and white. Yeah. And with brown eyes. Aww. Yeah. So I just called myself Skittle and I still remember some of the raps. <gasps> and there was these two girls that stole my rap and then performed it for the class. And Samantha, my one of my best friends, can confirm that. <laughs> can Can you uh, do a little performance? Can you rap right now? Um, Yo, 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 it's Juliet. You probably got, you were messing around with Margaret because it was about Romeo and Juliet. <clears throat> <laughs> okay yeah i don't want to keep going why god what was it it's just starting hey romeo yo 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 it's juliet i caught you messing around with margaret <laughs> do 
and then Skittle. it keeps going. <laughs> Skittle in the building, yo. <laughs> mic drop, but it's actually connected to something. You know, we can't drop this mic. Yeah, it's actually very expensive. Anyways, oh. proceed. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so the name City is stupid. His album cover is stupid. His album cover is stupid. It's I'm just going to assume that his music is also stupid. Yeah, you, could, you can jump to that conclusion. So there are a lot of people who believe that Paul Cortez was not given a fair trial because his attorneys didn't get that the time-stamped footage. Mm-hmm. At Catherine's funeral, the entire Ohio State Marching Band attended it in full uniform to support John Woods. Her family has since created the Catherine Woods Scholarship Fund, which supports students who want to pursue dance at Ohio State University. Her lifelong dance teacher said it's a beautiful thing, providing another young soul the opportunity to pursue a life of dancing, something that Catherine was robbed of. And that is the story of Catherine Woods. That feels unsolved to me, man. Well, so that's the thing is my mom was like, you know, it seemed like it was the live-in boyfriend, but then it was actually the new boyfriend. But then maybe it's still the live-in boyfriend. But then after reading it, like, I mean, and you can really, I really skimmed like the details of this because all the discrepancies that have come out since then, it just doesn't seem like it was properly investigated. Of course not. Like in the woman who came out to talk about the situation with Paul Cordes, like that kind of thing hasn't even been explained in detail. Her name wasn't revealed. I don't think she filed any charges against him. Mm-hmm. She just came forward to police to like Say. share this. So without any of like that information, how do we know that's real? And, and is that enough to arrest someone? Absolutely not. For someone else's murder? It certainly is a point against him. And if it's true, then that alone is very concerning. It doesn't automatically mean that he killed, killed somebody. No, absolutely not. And maybe our purpose right now is to raise awareness around this case. And then this guy gets an appeal somehow. And then the guy that really did it. <clears throat> you, you know. I don't think he'd be making music no more. I don't think. But the, we'd be depriving of city's jams <laughs> and how could we live and with how could we, how can how could we take that from people but seriously you know you never know it's like these sort of things where all of a sudden it raises awareness around something i'd never heard of this case in my life i hadn't either and it seemed so like cut and dry it seemed very like straightforward but it was really interesting like reading it but it was mm-hmm. it could have quickly turned into a really long episode and i didn't want to do that so if anyone's interested in this the victim's name is Catherine Woods. The city rapper is David Hahn. And, and the guy in jail is Paul Cortez. And he's still advocating to get a fair trial. And it hasn't happened. It's the biggest nightmare, being accused of something and all all the signs pointing to you doing it. And then there being something released and then no one is listening to you because you're just one another person saying that you're yeah. innocent. And like, what are the odds that two guys who arguably have motivation to do this who have the access and the means to do it they're the same shoe size Mm -hmm. they both i read this in one article and i I almost didn't want to include it because i couldn't verify Mm -hmm. it but this one article said that several forensic um people Mm -hmm. have since looked at the bloody handprint on the wall Mm -hmm. and they think that it's possible the handprint was there and the blood splattered onto it which created the illusion of someone having put a bloody print on the wall. Almost like dusting really, for something and it's sticking. Basically, it could have been that. But that's sort of speculating because that, like, whoever Does it is that, that happened? looked. I don't. I don't know. I've never heard of that happening. No, I don't know. I have no idea. Wow. Okay. But it makes sense. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, our fingerprints are everywhere. If, you have, if your print is on something that 
is going to hold it. And then you splatter something against it. And maybe, I don't know, but it was perfectly preserved when the mattress got pushed up against it. Like nobody I could I could not possibly see it sticking in the form of a handprint. I could see there being it was blood a on the wall. palm print. Okay. Cause I could see it kind of splattering around and then you check for that area and then it reveals that there is one there, Yeah, but not in the shape of a, I don't think that that would be possible because blood would not stick to the outline of a previously imprinted I'm, palm. I, I don't know though. Like they, yeah. they, they couldn't dust for it. They could just see visibly that it, it appeared to be some type of a print. Okay. So they literally it could even be a smudge. They of cut, sorts. Yeah. They cut out the piece of drywall and then tested that. Okay. It's sort of like there it's was not easy. It doesn't were, seem like an easy case. There were things about this that reminded me of the serial podcast where it's just like, did he or didn't he? Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know. Yeah. But it's so interesting. And like the freaking system is so messed, messed up, up that I totally believe. I totally believe that it's possible he was failed and he's just innocent and sitting in prison. But it's also possible he's they totally guilty did it. and he's in prison. Wants for to be released. Who knows? Well, that's deeply upsetting <laughs> thanks you're welcome <laughs> you did a really good job i like that thanks okay love you love you bye. bye if you enjoy this episode please rate review and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening we owe everything to the many journalists authors filmmakers psychiatrists and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you to view detailed source material as well as content from today please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show. And if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Shorty's Podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katharina.